Good afternoon. How's it going, all of you listeners? Welcome back to 99.3 FM. We hope you're having a great day because you're now tuning into the uh, Highs and Lows, lows podcast. podcast. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We're very glad to be here. We are your host, Cristian Ayala. Tusi Toivolo. Along with Francisco Pedrosa. There we go. There we go. We, of course, are here to inspire and create life-changing stories that could one day become your reality. Tune in every Thursday for your weekly dose of inspiration presented by students for students. And make sure to check us out wherever you might find podcasts podcast sorry about that it's okay I'm getting a little hang of that huh <laughs> there we go and before we get started i do want to give a huge shout out huge huge shout out to oxnard college itself not only for providing amazing research resources sorry about that mm-hmm. but also for all the people staff faculty that are in w- in it within it um huge shout out to eops without you eops we would not be able to have this podcast here today so thank you cesar flores thank you thank, thank you. you thank you robert chaparro Awesome, awesome. Um, how are you guys doing today? Good. Good, good, good. Um, the same old. Same just old, same old. in there, um, trying to be productive. There we go, there we go. Francisco? Awesome, yes. Uh, I'm doing really great. The reason for that is my birthday was yesterday, Ooh. September 27. You know, it's a Libra season for me. There we go. So, yeah, everything good, you know, taking care of my health, making sure I stretch, making sure I breathe, making sure I also provide that for students as well. So, awesome, yes, thank awesome, you for asking. Awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Looking forward for a Canelo fight this weekend. I oh, don't know yes. if you guys are into boxing. With, with Charlo? Yeah, uh-huh. Canelo versus Charlo and also Barrios fight. Uh-huh. Oh, he's going to fight? Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, anything you guys are looking forward for this weekend? Not much, not much. The fights and the fights. Probably the UFC ones. I don't know if you guys like UFC, but. I like a little bit, just a little yeah. bit. I'm into uh, a little bit. Okay, yeah, those fights are coming up, so. But yeah, the boxing one for sure, Canelo. That one's going to be fun for sure. <laughs> uh, should we get in a little bit into what the podcast is about? Yes, let's do this. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to mention the um, the podcast is a product of, of OCEOPS and the Peer, Facilita- Peer Facilitator team. So our, our missions podcast is to support and encourage our community to be the best version of themselves, to share wisdom love and opportunities to establish care and trust providing a weekly one-hour podcast there we go love it love it love it and we are very glad to be here today because we have yet another amazing guest you guys are in for a good episode today shall we introduce him yes so today we have with us uh dolores ortiz welcome to the show thank you let her tell us who she is and what it is that she does there we go. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so I am an instructor of sociology here at OC, coming into my seventh year uh, here, and it's over 18 years of teaching in higher ed for me. Um, I also teach social work and human services, and I am currently the academic senate president. Um, so I'm only teaching a couple of classes. Mm-hmm. And I also love supporting student-organized events and activities. I love to support the Dream Resource Center, ASG, uh, Proyecto Exito. Um, I love checking in on seeing what the STEM Center students are doing um, and listening to this podcast and supporting students in EOPS. Thank you, thank you, we appreciate it. (laughs) Let me tell you, uh, I've seen you around a couple of times and yeah, you're always busy. I think (laughs) all of us, we've had you as a professor, had you as a professor last semester and you're very much involved. You always try to get our students involved. So yeah, thank you for that. So it must have been online. Oh, no, it was in person, actually, oh, last wow. semester, yeah. 
Huh. All right. We'll talk after. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, So what drew you to psychology? Um, I teach sociology, but it's funny that you ask that because in my undergrad, so I'm a first gen college student and we can talk more about background, um, but I really didn't know what majors were when I was applying to college. The Internet was pretty new, like not accessible to low income families. Uh, people, you know, who didn't have money, didn't have private computers, and the applications were paper at that time. And I just thought, you know, being first gen, not having parents that are college educated or anybody in my family having a bachelor's, you see like a doctor, they help people, you know, so I wanted to be a pediatrician, I wanted to help children. Um, And so I thought pre-med, I want to be pre-med turns out pre-med is not a major (laughs) so when I was filling out the application I had to choose something I recognized the word psychology so I was like I'll pick that one Um, and I did have that major for a while Um, so the story of my undergrad is really interesting without having those resources and not really having the internet I missed all of the CSU and UC deadlines because I, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I was in some honors or AP classes, and I think the assumption of the school was everybody in there is supported at home and they know what they're doing. Um, so when I got back from winter break, I didn't apply anywhere, and everyone was talking about where they applied. Turns out USC, University of Southern California, sent me the paper application. I think it might have been from taking the SAT or something. Through some magic of opportunity, the paper application got sent to me and had an end of January deadline. So I filled it out. I asked for a couple of letters of rec, and I picked psychology because (laughs) pre-med wasn't a major. (laughs) Um, And it was rough because, uh, you know, my high school wasn't the best. I mean, it wasn't the worst, but... Um, for example, like in the bio, I had biochem labs with both of them, a writing class and um, a class on the Holocaust, which I really enjoyed and did well in. But the science classes and labs were a lot and competition was mm-hmm. the key <laughs> term there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the instructor would say, you know, go get all of these uh, instruments to do the experiment or to do the lab, I didn't even know what half of the instruments were to go get them. That's how lost I felt, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I guess I'll just go ahead and share that through joining a student organization, that's how I got my lifeline because I was so lost and I just was with my head down. Like, I hope they don't realize I don't belong here. Like, I'm gonna fail out. And I did not feel comfortable going to a professor or a counselor and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I joined a couple of student orgs, Mecha and something called mm. Che. Yes. So Mecha is Movimiento Estudiantil Chicana Chicano de Atlan. And um, I became pretty involved in that organization. And then Che was Chicanos, Latinos in health education because I was pre-med, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a great experience, actually. With a doctor from UCLA, I went on trips to Tecate, Mexico, to do um, okay. clinics, mm-hmm. free clinics, which was an amazing experience. Um, but eventually, you know, I was struggling grade-wise and everything, and I finally talked to another student. Uh, well, I asked a question, and they said, oh, go talk to this guy. He knows all about academic probation. <laughs> and, and then he was like, you're fine. 
it would take forever for them to kick you out because that's what I was worried about. I just didn't know how it worked and I had no one to ask. And um, but one great thing they said is go talk to this counselor, right? Kind of like our EOPS or, you know, CalWORKs or our um, academic counselors here. Students pass on the advice, yeah. right? And um, the woman's name, she's now Dr. Cynthia Mata Flores, um, mm. has moved on from that. You know, that was 20, <laughs> 20 something years ago. Um, but uh, she really helped me. She said, next semester, I want you to pick something you're interested in, right, for you. And that was my first sociology class. Um, it was called Immigrant America. Uh, it was an upper division class. Remember, I did not know how it all worked. So as a freshman, I took an upper division class. Um, in, in, instead of doing the paper, you could also uh, do a volunteer internship and then write a paper on that. So I chose to volunteer with CHIRLA, which is Coalition oh, for yeah. Humane Immigrant Rights Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And so that was so amazing, fun, you know. Um, I got, did some, I collected research with day laborers, jornaleros. Um, I'm just was like 18 years old, you know, just like, let me try all these things. And I got my A minus in there. And then I was like, oh, I'm interested in sociology. So I switched around. It became a minor. So, um, psych was the major. And then eventually I started also taking some classes that were sociology, but they were also gender studies. Mm. Um, they had this major called um, the study of women and men in society, gender studies. And so eventually that became a minor <laughs> because the classes double counted a lot. You know, it's the game of yeah. how you mm -hmm. rack up your degrees here. It's like your associates and your certificates, right? And so eventually when it all panned out, I ended up with a bachelor's in sociology um, and a bachelor's in gender studies and a minor in psychology, no pre-med. <laughs> There we go. Ooh. Wow, that's really great. So it's funny that you said what brought you into psychology. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> well, I meant to say sociology. It opened up that story. Yeah, yeah, and thank you for sharing that. That's really big. Thank you. Thank you. So I know you talked about um, being a first-generation student, and I know a lot of us here at Oxnard College are first-generation students. So I want to know what your, your thought process was in coming into college or pursuing that higher education like, did you see yourself being here? So, it, it, you know, and it's almost hard to look back and see how did you see yourself, mm -hmm. but I can, you know, somewhat. And my story, yes, I'm first gen, but, you know, and I, I am going to go ahead and open up and be a little personal. And I do do this in my classes at the start of the class because it helps me connect with students. I think that... I like to just convey, I'm a human, I have a story, you're a human, you have a story. If me sharing a little allows you to come and ask questions and feel comfortable with me, um, come to an office hour, then it's worth it, right? Um, and I've recalculated how do I see student success. It's not just getting the A, B, or even transferring, or even graduating. Yes, all those are great, but maybe for a particular student, it's literally just showing up, right? or it's developing confidence or speaking skills or um, yeah, developing the confidence to get out of a bad relationship or make a life-changing decision. Um, so I do like to share and I will. Um, my background, um, 
and a lot of students you know if they just know about their professor that oh they went to this university they have an advanced degree uh, for me my journey as i went into a phd program we can talk more about <laughs> that um and i'm their professor and i've been teaching for x number of years which at this point is over 18. um they would never probably think that um at some point in my childhood, both of my parents dealt with substance abuse issues. And so subsequently, at different times, both of them were incarcerated. And so if both of them are incarcerated, of course, I went into the foster mm -hmm. system. I was in kinship care, which is when your family takes you, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that happened several times. Like, they would get us back. It would happen again. Uh, so it was pretty unstable. And... I know that my parents love me, but it's a dysfunctional upbringing, yeah, totally. right? So um, I think that I always focused on school as my outlet because mm -hmm. it could have went a lot of other ways. And statistically, for most young people growing up in those environments, we do do a lot of other coping strategies that are negative impacts to our health, right? Um, and I wouldn't say I've escaped totally unscathed from that <laughs> either. Um, but like, for example, my brother and my sister, I'm the oldest of three, they both also had a lot of struggles as teenagers. Like my brother was in and out of juvenile hall and then as an adult in and out of the, you know, mm -hmm. justice system. And that's probably just much more likely. Right. So for me, I always turn to school. I do want to say my mom really gave me a foundation, though, because for the early years of my life, um, she was doing good and she taught me to read before I went to kindergarten. So I think that, you know, having kind of the feedback from a teacher that, you know, you're good, you're good at this, I see something in you, um, probably was more impactful than my, my young brain realized, right? Um, and so in high school, I just tried. I joined clubs, I was a president of S Club, which was like a service club for mm. girls, and I was in band. Mm. <laughs> Um, and that allowed me, band allowed me to travel and go do things and be away from my house, right? Mm -hmm. Practice all the time, hang out with friends. And I didn't really know how to do it, but I knew what I wanted, which was to get up out of there, you know? Um, not as in like leave and never, no. I think when you're first gen and when you grow up poor, you always wanna help other people. You wanna help bring them with you, but one thing I see for our students and in my own story is at some point you're going to have to realize there is a period of separation where you need to go grow on your own. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not that you're abandoning anyone. And I think we get survivor's guilt. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely processed all this over decades, mm -hmm. right? Um, that, but for you to grow and be able to help yourself, you have to focus on yourself. You're not leaving anyone, right? You're, yeah you're investing in yourself mm -hmm. as a person. Um, and so going to college was so foreign. And I always basically trip out on my young self, just willing to just go. And my parents being like, I guess she's going, you know? Um, and they dropped me off and then they just left. And then I was like at the grocery store, the first time ever shopping for myself, I can buy whatever I want. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And all, the other students were with their families in the mm. store. But I think like my dad had to go to work or something. Mm -hmm. You know, we just never had dropped somebody off at college before. And um, 
Yeah. So those are some of the early, you know, me not really envisioning all of it, but knowing that education would be an avenue to bettering myself, being able to help my siblings or my community or my family, um, and then learning the lesson along the way that um, you can't always help everybody. Sometimes it's a lot to just help yeah. yourself be present yeah. in the day and care for yourself and love yourself. And in doing that, you're a stronger person to um, influence others, right? And so honestly, that's what really, you know, this uh, profession of being a faculty member, specifically here, I wanted to work at Oxnard College. and. I worked at many colleges and universities, and I am so happy to have landed here and been accepted here and been able to grow here. I've been able to grow so much because we are a small college, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, to connect with students, to support their work. And like I said, even sometimes students may not pass my class, but they'll come back and I'll, I'll, meet, I'll see them again, I'll meet them again. And, um, <laughs> then uh, they let me know that I had some impact, some positive impact on them, even though I'm thinking I failed them because they failed my class, <laughs> right? It's funny you mentioned that, um, going back to what you said earlier, um, going through hardships and like we try to find those distractions through school. And I can totally relate to that. Um, back in high school, um, I went through something similar. You know, my, I won't get too much into these, but like uh, my family members, you know, substance abuse, uh, same thing. And just I would try to get away from home as much as possible. And like I would join extra curriculars like band, you know, and that would keep me away from home practices, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But now as I've like as I've trans transitioned into uh, college, um, I felt like these programs is not from getting me away from home, but more like helping me how to like deal with stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, the peer facilitator team I, it helped me with like a lot of things to like not just help myself, but to also help others around me. So yeah, so I really like that you said that because yeah, I can totally relate to it. Yeah, and it's great that it highlights the work that people are doing here at OC. There's so many peer mentoring, peer, peer yeah. facilitators, mm -hmm. which by helping ourselves, we are stronger to help yeah, others. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. <clears throat> it was a great listening to all that. So I did write down some questions. I'm just gonna say it all and then you can answer whichever one feels called to you. So one thing is how important do you feel there should be time for teachers and students to connect how you mentioned that you started off by like talking a little bit about yourself so that's something that interested me right well how important is it and how much time and like what are the um, benefits of that happening also another one was um, this the same story where like I was in the library like looking at the free books because I also like reading and you know being up being informed and a student came to me and like he was talking to me and like telling me like yeah this all this stuff and i was telling him the, you know what i'm studying you know some law stuff right and he referred me to the eops and it was a uh, ross and it was like thinking about what you're saying and i'm thinking i'm reflecting now and it's like well um it all happened for a reason right like this guy just kind of came over here i told him a little bit what i'm doing and he just referred me and that's how i'm here in, in this space right now right because of that student i don't know his name yet but eventually I'll see them. Another thing is that, that you mentioned um, teachers also sometimes get stressed out or may have some biases as to why it can be uneasy, right? So I, as a student, I just understand that like they're just going through stuff like they still don't know who I am. Like, you know, we still get to get we have to connect just like how how she was saying, you know, um, the Lord is 
that it's important for stu uh, students and teachers to have that relationship, you know, just so we can help each other flourish and bring in prosperity for them so they won't have to be struggling so hard, right? Totally. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'll try to address all three if I'm <laughs> able to. Yes. Um, I want to pick the middle one first, just mm -hmm. because uh, the, the student, you know, referring you to, they named Ross, right? Yes. Um, and that working out for you, I can see from your body language and your expression that it was a great like chance meeting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and really the good outcomes Yes, a lot of it is luck, opportunity, chance, but then being prepared. And in that case, your willingness to walk over there and go follow up and meet him, right? Um, so as, you know, one of, a, you know, a famous rapper has said, if mm -hmm. you stay ready, you don't got to get ready. <laughs> so staying prepared, open to opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't tell you all of this story. So I told you that there was, I joined Mecha, student said, go talk to this specific counselor. It wasn't the one I was assigned to, right? Um, and that was now Dr. Cynthia, Cynthia Mata Flores. Well, it turns out that she's from, her family is from the Oxnard area and EOPS counselor Gloria Lopez is her niece. <laughs> and so then when I arrived here, um, I met Gloria and then she told me and it was just this great like circle, like beautiful closure of a circle in my trajectory, you know, mm -hmm. um, because I also see how people like Ross, Gloria, Robert, and all of the other counselors are that, you know, mm -hmm. support yeah. for students yeah. here. Um, so back to, and I think they're linked, right, yes. to your first question, which is how much time should students and professors have or spend or set aside to connect you know, some people might think that me sharing about myself or taking time out of class to tell a little story about my dog or my daughter, um, not that they're in the same category, you know, <laughs> she's on top, but um, that it's like a waste of time and I should only be talking about sociology. Well, first of all, sociology is the study of human behavior and uh -huh. society. Um, but secondly, I think it's a great investment of time. So. What I had originally started to do, when I was early in my teaching career, I always felt that I had to prove authority in the classroom. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of that was just from the grad school, the PhD experience of um, being a woman of color and the way I, you know, felt that people perceived me or how they spoke to me or, you know, different experiences that I had. Um, I didn't share anything personal because I felt that it would be used against me, right? As I got more seasoned, skilled, talented um, as an instructor, I got more comfortable in my own skin and just realizing like my story is powerful and my students go through a lot too. A lot of them are first gen, a lot of them are students of color. Um, a lot of them may come from low income backgrounds like I did, um, that this is not something that is wasting time or unprofessional. It's like a little superpower, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I tell faculty as well is that they don't have to look like you or be from the same background, but just recognizing your background as a student, right? Bringing, letting you bring that into the class, letting that bring, bring that into assignments or just into who you are, that you can be your authentic self and they can be their authentic self. They don't have to be somebody they're not. Uh, for me, when I got comfortable, 
I started doing this little presentation at the end. It's like you would take my class, I would be so professional, deliver the class, at the end I would share my story. And I got a lot of response, right? Like people coming up to me, the, the class is over though, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was here at OC in one of the social work human services classes. Basically a student had gone up and it went with the content of what we were studying, but they really opened up because in um, their fieldwork practicum class, they have to volunteer in the community. And um, so this student brought up their own experiences like with domestic violence and other things, personal, right? And honestly, it was so powerful. And in support, I wanted to also, they were self-disclosing. I also um, just wanted them to feel supported, you know? And that was the first time that I really opened up more. Um, not in a planned way, just, mm -hmm. you know? And so eventually, like maybe next term, because what I did is I developed a slideshow just with pictures, but I just spoke through it. Um, I started showing it at the beginning of class. And then eventually those pictures, I put sociological concepts with them. So it's on the slide. So I'm introducing my discipline, but also myself. And I saw a difference. Like many more students were willing to be like, oh, she's okay. I can <laughs> talk to her. She's cool. Like she's not going to bite my head off or, you know. Um, <laughs> And just for comedy's sake, I'll also say that when students get more comfortable in an in-person class, they come up to talk to me. They're like, oh, you're not that tall. <laughs> I think I have tall energy <laughs> as a lecturer, as an instructor. And then you come up, you're like, oh, you're not even past 5'2". <laughs> um, so just breaking down that wall, that barrier between us, I think it goes a long way. I mean, I respect faculty to um, have whatever to their level of comfort right but i think if they would um share a little more be more on the human level that students literally would be more willing to ask questions about the work or come in for me a lot of our students we have a lot of situations right that can get you behind in class and something bad happens and you don't share until the end of the semester because that's when the grades come, right? But if you were comfortable and we set that level of comfort, you can tell us when it happens to your level of comfort. You do not have to tell everything, but if you can share what's, what challenges you're facing, the faculty member may be able to work with you a little more. Um, and then I'm not sure if that covered the third Item. I think it was about instructors having stress and being oh, human yes, too. Oh yes, stress and the biases. Of so if I can um, ask, um, so what's your why behind all that you do? Like what's your driving force? So, and of course I thought about this type of big idea, you know, on the way here. And we just went through accreditation, by the way. We had the open forum on Monday and one of the accreditors asked the campus community that question. But I think, you know, my why is helping students and others, like anyone I interact or work with, um, if, if they're open to that, right? To discover and then like elevate their gifts, recognize their gifts, you know, acknowledge their gifts. Um, and I think a lot of students say I want to go to this specific school or I want to do this specific thing it's broad though mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um, 
you may have many other gifts that you don't have to go there to explore them. Um, I, I, I love empowering others to recognize and acknowledge their own gifts. Um, and part of why I love specifically working here is to serve my community. And by my community, I mean underserved populations, marginalized, historically marginalized populations, students of color, first-gen students, students from an immigrant background, students from low-income families, students who've had families with justice system involvement, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, who may have not always felt comfortable or that they belong. Um, I have several students who are currently incarcerated and I've had a few like a sprinkle here or there um, I've been a mentor in uh, Providence School which is in the juvenile hall complex in the county mm -hmm. right I've got to see a mentee graduate be released um, in one of my classes I you don't get like a list but it's with them disclosing to me I think at least a quarter or more of my entire class is currently incarcerated. And I think that's amazing. Like that is my why, right? Like to be able to reach anyone that may find some benefit for me sharing my energy, mm -hmm. right? That's so great, wow. And as we start wrapping up, um, maybe just a little bit, some advice you would have for a student <laughs> No, we got to get that fly out of here. <laughs> maybe some advice that you would have for a student, maybe who's going through tough times, through some hardships. How can they get in contact? Maybe some help. What, what's some advice you would have for a student? Um, well, you know, I think it depends what kind of uh, services they might need. We have so many great services here. Myself, I'm always willing to make time for students. Um, and if it's really for any of us, right? If we're going through hardship, just don't turn inward and close off and think I have to do this by myself nobody can see me because this is so hard and embarrassing and I just want to hide it and I want to separate myself from others I think that's what we tend to do but truth is that the light is in connecting to someone else connecting to your friends sharing even if it is a stranger that's an instructor a counselor the basic needs specialist Rosa Reyes <laughs> she's amazing and she was my student here um, when I first arrived here um, and sharing with others because we are so hard on ourselves. We are the hardest on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I always ask students to do this. Give yourself grace. Treat yourself like you would a friend. When you're facing a problem, try to pretend it's your friend's problem. Your friend's over here. It's their problem. What advice would you give to them? Because it's so hard. This is even me. This is a practice I use with myself. It's hard. My problems, my own seem so complicated and they involve our emotions and all kinds of background. Um, treat yourself, give yourself grace. Treat yourself with forgiveness. Yes, maturity is holding ourselves accountable, but don't beat yourself up. That doesn't do anything for anyone yeah. mm -hmm. to talk down, right? Um, so I think that's the advice. I would say reach out. There's so many great services here right with transfer career um the trio office stem all of the different counseling options mental health counseling rainbow cafe for all my lgbtqia plus family yes. you know um that is an amazing magical space of inclusivity and support and people can drop in they can go once and never go back you can go all the time you know um just 
reach out and even though we have the tendency to think nobody will understand nobody will want to help me honestly a lot of times just having someone listen we then get the space to hear our own inner voice Totally. Let your inner voice be a nice one. There we go. I agree. Very, very yes, powerful. Like, sir, wrapping up, is there any more last questions, comments we want to make? Uh, I would say um, I appreciate you having here, having you guys here, everyone here. Um, likewise, likewise. Yeah, the the advice is definitely heartfelt. You mm-hmm. know, as for me, right, uh, you know, going through the education of shamanism this year, and uh, I did learn a lot of things, right, about how the emotions, like what these things are. So yeah, the best thing, again, I would recommend is, uh, you know, get into a breathing uh, routine, a habit, you know, stretching, breathing daily, you know, making sure you're drinking your water, eating your fruits, you know, getting some sun, right? So I definitely recommend Mm -hmm. that all the time. Yes, sir. Thank you. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. We are going to take our usual five-minute break, listen to some tunes. I want to give a big thank you to Dolores Ortiz. Thank you for coming to the show. Amazing, amazing words. Thank you. So we're going to come back in a little bit, and Jonah's back. Welcome, welcome back, everyone. We hope you guys are enjoying what we're putting out so far, listening to some tunes, because you're now tuning back into the Highs and Lows Podcast. Awesome, awesome. What do you guys think about the first half we just had with Dolores Ortiz? Pretty uh, good. That was pretty good. I I, I did a class with her. Yeah, um, so did I. <laughs> really good yeah. class. Really good words, really good wisdom. Yeah. I can definitely relate to all the, the information she yeah. shared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Let's get into our second guest because we have yet another great guest for our second half yes, today. Yes, mm-hmm. our second guest today is Ana Maria Vallevia. Oh, there you go. So you can you it. please Welcome. share with us <laughs> about to the show. who you are and what it is that you do? Uh, I am currently, on campus-wise, I am a adjunct counselor and a professor. I teach the personal growth courses on campus but um, in adjunct counselor, I basically do counseling in the general counseling office area. I'm also the EOPS advisory chair oh, nice. for here. Awesome, um, awesome. So that's what I do right <laughs> now, and that's campus-wise. Okay. At, awesome. home, <sighs> at home, at home, I meet. I I have a, I'm, I'm married. I have a husband, and I have two kids, oh. and. Um, both of who went through the campus here. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Nice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. It's very nice to meet you as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about how you got here, your journey, maybe um, what led you to this profession? Okay, um, what led me to this profession was basically um, when I left college, or when I started college in that area, and we're going way back, okay? Uh, I basically uh, wanted to be a Spanish major. Mm. I like my language, and I started studying it. And then I started learning about foreign language in the elementary school because I also thought teaching. I go, well, that would be great. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Mm. So all of this was happening in Chicago. And ultimately, when I uh, moved out here to finish my studies at Cal State Northridge, I then found out, guess what? There's bilingual programs for education, for teaching. So I went through that and I became a teacher in the elementary school system in LA Unified School District. At college, I was MECHA, what was I, MECHA treasurer. And so I did get involved in activism on the campus and I also became the key lead person on campus to speak to Spanish language uh, media. 
Nice. And so that was a great, great experience being in Mecha during the, um, when was that? In the 70s. Mm. Okay. And ultimately, I became a teacher, as I said, and then I became, I, something always motivated me to go further because I'm doing for my folks, for people that uh-huh. are low income, first generation, or individuals that were like me growing up Uh and um, that had families like mine. Mm -hmm. And so that has always been my passion and that's what motivates me. So then ultimately I wound up getting involved in the summers through my friends that were migrants. And I went to Fresno area and I became in the summers a migrant teacher. Mm. And uh, I enjoyed that thoroughly. Um, And then I got involved with what was called California Mini Corps. California Mini Corps is currently, I think, Cal State Channel Islands has it. But it's a program that's designed for students that want, college students that want to become teachers. So we brought that program here to Oxnard College. Ooh, nice. So I came to Oxnard College to head that program up and to develop it on campus. And I loved it. It was great. Um, and then ultimately I decided, I want social change. Mm-hmm. So. Do I become a lawyer or do I want to go into counseling? And I went as far as taking the LSAT, the law school admissions test, and I went to classes because don't just say I'm going to go take the test. You want to prepare. That's what a lot of people do and that's why they get better scores than people that just go straight in. Mm -hmm. So did the LSAT, but then I decided law works too slow for social change for me. And and so I said I'm going to do counseling. So I became a counselor. And ultimately, I, um, I enjoyed that. So I was a counselor here. Uh, I went to Ventura College, and I became counselor for the EOPS program there for about eight years. And then I came over to, um, then the position here were to my friends. You know, these, my colleagues uh, were also my friends that we were very active in the community. We were involved with Mujeres Unidas mm-hmm. back then, and we did mm-hmm. a lot of activities and things for our community. So it wasn't just about work and doing eight to five. It was about being a- an activist within your community also. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of my friends was the EOPS coordinator here at Oxnard College, and I was the counselor at, um, VC. I have to, I'm laughing because one of my colleagues here, she was an EAC counselor part-time. And I was working doing mini-core. And she said to me, Anna, have you applied for this position at Ventura College EOPS Bilingual Outreach Specialist Counselor? Mm-hmm. I go, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, don't want to leave Oxnard because I was here. Yeah. And then she goes, this position was designed specifically for you. You can see it's everything you do. So the deadline was that day at five o'clock. So at around four, four thirty, I was submitting my application okay. to work at VC. And so I went there working with similar student population from the Oxnard area. Uh, and so I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I was working. And then becoming when my uh, friends here, the EOPS coordinator here, passed away. Uh, from breast cancer. I then applied to the position and I became <coughs> the EOPS coordinator here at Oxnard College. Uh, I was just sharing with a fellow uh, colleague today that Oxnard College here at EOPS were the first to implement online registration. 
we started it with the help <coughs> of the admissions and records office. And so it was in the whole district we're talking. We started it here at Oxford. Yes. Here we go. <laughs> Take and some credit. Anyway, so, that, so what led to then uh, I did a wonderful program, worked with wonderful people. That's when um, Ross started, Gloria came in. I was able to help and be instrumental in seeing that they got hired and brought in because I got to develop the program where my previous friend who was coordinator had left off. So I was able to expand it more and bring in other people. Okay. Sounds like you do a lot of great work. Yes. So then yeah. I just had to keep, uh, you know, as long as I can keep giving accurate information or at least provide uh, resources to students, I will continue working as a part-time counselor. And so coming to Oxnard College from EOPS and retiring from that position and going into this adjunct, I also became for one semester a department chair mm. uh, for counseling. Um, and then I said, no, no friend of mine will ever ask me to do that again because <laughs> it's a full-time <laughs> position. So I enjoy working with a wonderful group of people in counseling department. Oh, all the young blood, <laughs> techie, and really sensitive and supportive of students. That's awesome. Nice. That's awesome. I want to ask, so what has been the biggest challenges throughout your journey in, in just being here or getting here? Huh. The biggest challenges were always the know-how, the what-to. When I started college, I didn't know about financial aid. So I was applying for scholarships and working part-time. So that was one big challenge. Um, being the first in my family to go to college, to navigate the system. Then once you get through all of that, it's, also, it's then getting into the workforce and dealing with implicit bias, which means that people have assumptions of you because of your ethnicity mm -hmm. and how you act or do. So when I became an LA Unified School District, a resource teacher, and I worked with other people that were twice, three times my age, that were also resource teachers, I would see their eyes roll when I would speak. And I wasn't the only one, there was another person who was Native American who was also similar to my situation. And basically, I realized then, I need to speak the language of the institution in order to make uh, to make inroads and changes mm -hmm. that are necessary to happen. The interesting thing is that when you do that, you have to be very careful that you don't absorb that and then forget the other part of you, maybe, mm -hmm. of language. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because I did adopt that, and my colleagues, like Gloria and Ross, would say, okay, Anna, what's that word you just used? Let me write it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yes, and reading and all that gets you all that. But uh, so. Mm -hmm. So dealing with that, and the other challenge is that if you're advocating for your community, it may be not the same as supportive of your administration. And I'm not talking about college, and I'm talking maybe elementary school or whatever mm -hmm. when I was working there. Although it could happen here too. And basically, if you're both on different planes, it, it, it can be a negative effect. Uh, unless you're able to bridge it and maybe come around. So those are my biggest challenges, I would say, overcoming the implicit bias and not caring about it, yes. and then saying, I'm going to do what I need to do because it's got to happen. Yes. 
and forming alliances mm. with others, very <coughs> important. And I'm not just talking of my ethnic group, with all ethnic groups, because especially with like blacks or Native Americans, you needed to form that. Mm -hmm. At Ventura College, we had what was called an ethnic minor majority group, which was composed of that, and so we had uh, alliances there. Here at Oxford, we tried to do a Latino, because it was mostly what was here, um, but we it just didn't take, um, so we worked as independent uh, programs and departments, and we formed alliances with our colleagues, though. Mm -hmm. Okay. So great. That's so great. Yeah, and nice. on the opposite note, um, what were some signs or maybe some, like, guides that you noticed uh, along your journey that you were like, oh, I'm on the right path? What were some of those, like, libel li moments? I don't know that I, I can't really think of a libel moment. I think that the rewards of what you were doing were the things that said, okay, this is good. I'm 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 going the right way. Um, I don't know if this is really addressing your question, but um, it's it's. I just know that the different paths that are out there are so many, and that the ones you choose are the ones you wind up with, and ultimately you overcome barriers and challenges. But if you have a goal in mind, if you have a passion in mind. So I can't think of any aha moment uh, right now. If I do later. No, that's okay. No worries. No worries. <laughs> so um, I want to get into why why do you do what you do? Or what's that pushing force for you? My pushing force has always been how can I best serve my community? And I guess that's why I'm still in Oxnard. I live in Oxnard, and I really do enjoy uh, it here. Um, so what motivates me right, is basically the community. But you know what? It's your learning experiences I mentioned earlier. It's what you go through with your family. Mm -hmm. So if my mom and dad didn't speak Spanish, and I was in elementary school, and I'm going with them to this, this uh, area, this service center or this other places to fill out applications to get information, if I'm going with them to do that, it's because I'm the bilingual one. And even though I'm in elementary school, whatever, I can fill out the forms and help them. They're my, they were my motivation. And when I saw others like them in the same situation, it still is true. Motivating, um, I'm thinking of a particular ex uh, experience I had when I was here at, uh, as EOPS. I, went, I was asked to do a presentation at one of the elementary schools here. And it was for preschool. And you might think, well, preschool, what, what's there? And I went to the preschool, and the parents were there. And I said, and this is true, the biggest challenge I have as a counselor working with students at the college is what you as parents have taught your children, which is so valuable and so good, but it hurts the student. What is it? When you as parents are talking about there isn't enough money to buy tortillas to put on the table. How are we gonna make this bill? How are we gonna pay for this? And then I find a student walks in my door and says, and I gotta, I gotta draw. Why? Because there's not enough money. <laughs> and I say, did your parents tell you to draw? No, then you don't. So I told the parents, so it's, when you're having those conversations, close the door or turn around and say, 
but you're going to go to school or you're going to continue your education. You are not not going to do that because you raise such wonderful children, I tell the parents, that want to do for you. So that's another part. Of, so that's basically it. So another part of that passion that drives me is the fact that um, we have such a strong, familiar support. It, it's just uh, whether it's tios, tias, uh, your grandparents, your whoever, your comadres, whoever it is, your cousins, that's the support that you have. And I think that's valuable and it helps. And if it's not that because you don't have that, it's the community, your friends. Your friends can support you and help. That's yeah. so great. Thank you for sharing Thank that. You Thank you for sharing that. that. That's what makes this program so good. You have the highs and the lows, and you share with each other. It creates a community, and yeah. it tells me I'm not alone. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You hit it right on the nail. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. As a, as a counselor, I'm sure you're impacting a lot of students that you meet with. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious who has been that um, person who's been influential in your life or who has impacted you. Um, I would say that the community leaders that I've interacted with, um, when I was at, um, or speakers that I've heard, when I was at uh, University of Illinois, I attended my first ever that I even heard about it, a Chicano conference in Minnesota Ooh. as a student. Mm -hmm. I just went, I guess others were going, okay, let's go. And I heard a poet, and the poet was say, telling us, or these people, they were sharing with us that you're Chicana. I go, uh, I didn't know what that was. I says, uh, no, no one puts a label on me. And so as I attended these sessions and I got to know what it was, I go, yeah, I am. I am. And uh, work, you know, I got to work on, I mean, walk on the picket line with Dolores Huerta. These are our heroes, right? Mm -hmm. Our role models. And then I come to Northridge and I'm working with uh, Rudy Acuna at Cal State Northridge in the Chicano Studies Department and activists. And I'm working with a lot of the professors there and I'm seeing that they're teaching us mm -hmm. how to be assertive, how to advocate for the things we need yeah. while still being successful as students at the college. Because sometimes when we become activists, we lose sight of our own studies and we can't because we need to do, le we need to level the tour, do both. So um, I would say those were my role models. My parents, my parents, because they managed to succeed against all odds mm -hmm. and provide for us. Um, so my, my colleagues, as you get to know other people, so the people that have, my aunt, my uncle, because they got, they, they did well, they exposed us they were the ones, uh, I have two younger, and then my mother's side of the family, younger siblings that went to school in the United States and that did well. One's a Spanish teacher up in Northern California um, and the other one is, uh, decided to go into engineering. Engineer. So seeing them also and promoting our cultural experiences which weren't limited to just el 16 de septiembre, mm -hmm. but we got to go to plays and other things, having being uh, having the opportunity to be exposed to other things is valuable when you have people doing that for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very well said. Very well said. And I, I'm staring. We're like uh, sitting across from each other, and I see you so full of life, so full of energy. So without a <laughs> yes. doubt, I know you're impacting more than just one student's life. So thank you for everything you do. Honestly, thank you. Thank you're you. Welcome. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, staring away from our little questions, um, maybe, um, what is a fun fact about you? Something that you like to do in your free time? I like to do, I, I'm a reader. I like reading. And I'm not just talking about factual, you know, the, the nonfiction, which I always have to think nonfiction is true and fiction is not true. Okay. I always do that in my brain. I like reading fiction. I love reading mysteries. I enjoy science fiction. And I enjoy um, historical novels. Ooh. I enjoy uh, all of that. And I saw my, my uh, that. And ever since we came up with all these uh, streaming, um, uh, like Netflix, uh -huh. Prime, all of <laughs> came into being, I go, oh my gosh, it, it becomes a binge thing. We talk about with our friends, okay, what's a good movie? Yeah. And I know, I know nationwide, if not globally, that's a given thing. But yeah. I still love my reading, and that is so important. But reading. Oh, aside from that, though, fun fact is... I've done um, zip lining. Nice. Oh. You got to do it. Wow. If you haven't done it, you got to do it. I mean, you got to do it. <laughs> Is that where you get on a thing and you, yes, you, you go from one end zoom? to the other? Yeah. <laughs> the first one I did was in Big Bear. It was a short one. Ooh. Then I did the one in Costa Rica. Now that was big. Oh, wow. and, and that was fun. The other is river rafting. You got to do river rafting. Ooh, okay, nice. we were in the American River, Kern River. They have it. I did American and I did Costa Rica. Oh man, that sounds, sounds like interesting. Fun. <laughs> Adrenaline rush, but you hit it right on the spot. Two uh, C and Priscilla, they love reading. Yes, yeah, they have we their do. own little reading. <laughs> I, I was gonna ask you what's a what's a book you would recommend? Yeah, well, it depends what you're into, though. See, because um, right now I'm also listening to an Audible. I just got mm -hmm. hooked on to Audibles, and I'm listening. I'm reading one's called Magicians. Uh, kind of mixed feelings about it, but I'm gonna see it through. Um, but I, um, I, I can't. I can't even think right now. My mind is blank in terms of some of the other books that I actually read. I like. I've been reading some Asian novels written by Asians. Okay, because I also believe that mm -hmm. it's good as of your of that group to be able to mm -hmm. do that. I I purchased a book by Reina Grande. I think she's doing about the immigrant. Her experience to novel. So, okay, um, a lot of those. Nice. Oh, but one of the best books I've read through my college career is, and it may, it's not old still, it's called North from Mexico by Carrie McWilliams. Because when I read that book at Chicano Studies at Northridge, I said, oh my, I went home to my family, I go, oh my gosh, Dad, look, we were a satellite family. He goes, what's that? That's when families from Mexico would come, stay with us, and then move out. And they've mm -hmm. in the community, and suddenly you have a satellite. And that's and so Carrie McWilliam explains that a lot of the immigrant experiences that I could relate to, and I thought this is a wonderful book for anyone to have. That's really yeah, great. Mexican descent, anyway. We're gonna have to read those. We're gonna have to put that on the list for sure. As we start wrapping up a little bit, um, I want to know maybe some advice that you would have for students. Maybe your younger selves, um, setting someone on the right path. What is a couple of words that you might have for someone? If it relates to college, quite frankly, I would say access the student services. You don't know about it, meet with folks that do, meaning go make an appointment and meet with a counselor. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the key to success, mm -hmm. I believe firmly, for, for, for a college student, meet with a counselor. And um, 
what else? That there's no such thing as I can't succeed. You can succeed if you know the services available to you and no such thing as I don't have enough money to go to college. There is, there are ways and opportunities to do that. And, and, and be tenacious. Mm. Mm -hmm. And how can you translate that to maybe, not college-wise, but like maybe to maybe a little bit more life? Like life personal wise? life? Personal life, when someone's feeling sad or down, stuff like that. When someone's sad or down, I, I, I've had students that I've worked with in counseling like that or just in personal life, because I believe in this too. And that is, once you think you've hit bottom, guess what? There's still a little bit more to go, more bottom. But once you finally hit that point, just remember there's nowhere else to go but up. Mm -hmm. I was just about but to say that. There <laughs> we go. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, any last comments we want to make, guys? Um, no. Thank you. Thank for you. Thank, thank you for being on the show. Um, yeah. I want to give you a big thank you to you, Ana Maria. Not only did you share a little bit about yourself, but you did give advice not only to students, but to us. You know, all of mm -hmm. us really benefit from everything you had to say today. So I just want to give a big thank you to you. Yes, we're students, too. Yeah, we're <laughs> students. So we know we know the struggle. We know it, it's yes. always real. We got to keep it 100. So yeah. thank you very much for everything. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I uh, really enjoyed this opportunity to thank you. talk uh -huh. to you all. We're glad, we're glad. Thank I want to thank you. all of you beautiful listeners for tuning in yet to another episode today. Tune in next time. We'll have two amazing guests coming right up. And this has been... The, the Highs and Lows Podcast. Podcast.